Hello and welcome to Try Talking Sport, hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast, or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation, and a little bit of entertainment. Well, how are we all? I hope you are keeping well and happy. Those of you who have joined us in the Move in November challenge are making great strides to get their 15 hours of physical activity completed before the 30th of this month, which is super. What are you doing to challenge yourself to move this month? We are already planning our 12 days of Christmas challenge. Yes, I've said the C word, Christmas, which will start on December 1st. So keep an eye on our social media over the next two weeks for details on how you can sign up to the challenge to keep moving during the festive period. Speaking of Christmas, there, I said it again. As the song goes, I don't want a lot for Christmas. There is just one thing I need. I don't care about the presents underneath the Christmas tree. Where is this going, you may well ask. You're lucky I didn't sing the lyrics. But flashback to this time last year, we were headed to 10,000 downloads of the podcast. Fast forward in what has been a turbulent year and we are bulldozing. Yes, bulldozing towards 50,000 downloads. Yes, 50,000. So you know what I would love this Christmas? I would love to hit and exceed the magic milestone number of 50,000 downloads by Christmas Day. So please, please, please tell your friends about the podcast, share your favourite episodes on social media and help make this podcast host a very happy princess on Christmas morning. Please, did I say please enough times? Aguan. Thank you. As I mentioned in the last episode, I was delighted to be shortlisted as a finalist in the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Awards, which took place last Sunday night. The finalists across the categories were amazing and I was honoured to be in their company. Congratulations to all winners and to Kelly O'Mara, editor of Triathlete magazine, who is the very deserving winner of the Outstanding Media Contribution category. Thanks to the team at Outspoken Women in Tri for hosting the awards and giving us the opportunity to be part of a good news story in 2020. In another good news story, the bobble hats are flying out the door and we've ordered pink. Yes, pink ones. They are a perfect Christmas gift for yourself or for someone else. They will be available to purchase from next week on the website, trytalkingsport.com. But if you can't wait till then, we have blue, navy or grey currently in stock. I am still getting into the sea every day. Yep, hard to believe it. I've only missed two or three days of swimming since the middle of August. And I have to admit, I'm pretty proud of myself. I never thought I would continue getting into the sea after completing the Galway Bay Swim Challenge, but it's become so much of a routine now and a reason to get out of bed early in the morning every day that I think I would miss it if I stopped. The added bonus of trying to do handstands in the water, belly laughing, jumping waves with the crew, followed by coffee and sausage rolls post-dip, all part of the fun. In addition to this, my sister has now joined the swimming fun, embracing it like a proper mermaid. And this makes me very proud. She most definitely is not one who likes the cold or ever really got into the water, but she is loving it. Speaking of mermaids, this week's guest, Tiffany Quinn, is a magnificent mermaid. A magnificent ice mermaid, in fact. Taking up the challenge to complete an open water swim when someone told her she wouldn't be able to do that was a pivotal moment in her life and has led her on a glorious voyage of swimming, adventure, friendship and fun over the past number of years. 
Tiffany, by her own admission, is happiest in the water. She has completed one ice mile and multiple kilometre and 500 metre ice swims, representing Ireland in two world championships in Berghausen, Germany in 2017 and in Murmansk in Russia in 2019. Earlier this year, she enjoyed a swimming adventure in Antarctica. She has been the IISA Ireland chairperson since 2018 and firmly believes in the importance of giving back to her sport and her community. Her vivid description of her swimming and her infectious lust for the water is just fascinating. She does say that her number one reason for swimming is so that she can eat more cake, but there's a lot more to it than that. Although I will swim for cake too, if I'm honest. The community and people she has surrounded herself with have helped her to not only believe in herself, but also to continue to strive for success in swimming every day. With my own growing interest in open water swimming and the increase generally in the number of people taking to the water in recent times, Tiffany gives some great insight and advice for anyone who is venturing into the open water, especially as we embrace the winter weather. Enjoy the show and if you are venturing for a swim, be smart and be safe. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It is a blustery, wild, wet day in Galway. We've had a wonderful high tide this afternoon. You're in Dublin. Yeah, I'm actually in Bray now. Born oh, in I apologise. All the Dublin people and the Wicklow people will kill me for saying you're in Dublin and you're actually oh, in yeah, Bray. Oh, yeah, no, I'm definitely Bray, yeah. I, I only moved about two years ago and I've completely converted to being a Wicklow person. So at every opportunity, I'm like, oh, and I live in Wicklow. Now, sorry, um, before we go anywhere, I've got to ask you about the dry robes. Because we've heard that there's a lot of aggro about dry robes up in South County Dublin and Bray and Wicklow and all of this. Whereas we're all having lots of fun down in Black Rock with our dry robes and our Black Rock beachwear. So there's definitely no aggro in Bray. Um, There has been words in Greystones. There have been posters in um, Sandy Cove, but nothing nothing in Bray, um, which is fine. Actually, the lovely local artist has done a gorgeous picture of people in kind of getting around in their dry robes in Greystones and we actually commissioned her to do one for Bray so we even had a little sign called dry robe cove up on our local swim spot. Well that's very encouraging to hear. Anyway Tiffany back to you uh, tell us a little bit about your background in sports you are an open water swimmer you are an ice yep. swimmer uh, you've traveled all over the world with your swimming and you just absolutely love it. I do um, and I don't really have a sports background um, I grew up by the sea in Skerries and I was always in and out of the sea as a kid you know I did my safety one two and three and I think that everyone did but I I didn't do any water safety um, you know I would have gone to the pool as a child but I didn't compete um, and how I got back into it it was just I happened to live in an apartment block that had a pool at one point which was super fancy um, and that just kind of got me back into swimming again I was just swimming by myself for fitness um, but how I got into, I suppose, open water swimming, um, which led me into ice swimming and led me into joining a club, is a funny story. Uh, I was working, I still do, as a, in a telecoms company, and I was fortunate enough to be one of those people who get wined and dined. I was buying. I was at a rugby match when, with a very nice account manager. We were just chatting, and he was like, oh, Tiff, you've been doing a bit of swimming. And he goes, I did this really good race with my mate, um, the Great Fjord Swim, last year. Why don't you train with and we'll, we'll do it together next year. And I said, that sounds interesting. I don't know if I can do it. He told me it was, you know, 2K or 4K. I was like, okay. And I was half thinking about it. And his manager came over, who is charming misogynist, is the only word I have from him. <laughs> you kind of love to hate him. And he overheard. And he's like, oh, Tiffany, really? You know, what are you thinking? I mean, A, you're a woman. And B, he's 10 years younger than you. You've got no chance. So obviously that spurred me. And I literally started training the very next day. <laughs> 
<laughs> I got into the pool the very next day and started training. I got myself some coach lessons to improve my stroke. I literally went all out. Um, I signed up to do the swim for a mile, um, as did the, the guy in question. And I was faster than him, just so, just for the record. <laughs> important my, to note that now. Important to note, I did my mile faster than him. And then, yeah, I ended up doing two swim track holidays where I met a really nice girl who bizarrely lived in the same estate as me. We didn't know each other, booked them separately, ended up sharing a room with a girl who lived like 10 doors away from me. We met another girl on that trip who was in Dublin Swimming Club. And so as a result of that, we joined Dublin Swimming Club and, uh, and I did the Great Fjord Swim. And I kind of went from there. Then I started doing the Leinster Sea Swims, got completely addicted. And uh, that was kind of my outdoor how I kind of got into it and what was it about the swimming that you were hooked I find it really meditative so that's why I liked the pool swimming it was this repetition um, and I could kind of go into my head and just swim as I once I started getting coaching instead of disappearing into a daydream I would focus on my stroke so it became more meditative because I got out of my head and into my body which I think was even better. So now when I'm swimming, I'm in and I'm thinking about my stroke and I'm thinking about, you know, my, how I'm turning and what's my arms doing and what, how am I breathing? Um, and so I find it like meditation. I, can't, I did yoga for years and the only way I could meditate was at the end of yoga when I was really tired and my body was relaxed. I can't just sit and meditate. I just can't. My mind's too busy. I get too conscious of pain. Whereas put me in the sea or put me in the pool, I'm meditating. So you went from open water swimming, doing this challenge. Did you beat your buddy in the Great Fjord Swim in the end as well? Well, he ended up, his wife got pregnant and he ended up not being able to train because she was due around the time. So it was just this, the trigger. And I'm so happy. And every time I see him, I thank him profusely for introducing me to this sport that I adore and has completely, I moved to, I bought a house in Bray so I could be beside the sea. Like my whole life is about the sea now. That's incredible. Yeah. So that one, charming misogynist. Yes. <laughs> charming is, misogynist. Is really to blame for your swimming activity over the past how many years? It's about seven now. Yeah. How do you progress from swimming in the pool and doing some open water swimming to then going to ice swimming? And we have had Dr. Ice, Ger Kennedy himself, oh, uh, on the show <laughs> previously. And a big shout out to Ger for connecting us for this episode what is it about ice swimming or how did you even get started or what like hmm. why two more charming men were involved um <laughs> so this is, that's ice swimming for you so i've been swimming um i've been getting really good coaching um with a guy called pavel rudinski who's not in he's not around at the moment i think he's moved to denmark he was a super open water coach and pool coach and i've been done a couple of training sessions with him and he introduced me to a friend of his who was an ice swimmer Patrick Corcoran and they literally turned up on my doorstep one day um, after the Leinster open sea season was over and said get your coat we're going to Armagh <laughs> I was like I'm sorry <laughs> you know and they're like come on we're going to try this ice swimming and um, Pavel wants to try it and he doesn't want to do it by himself so you're coming I was, oh, okay and that is literally they just drove me up and I we had a little dip and I didn't do much um, I just watched them the first day. I was training a lot with a guy called Gus, who's a super um, Leinster open swimmer. He's a, done the English Channel twice. He lives in Bray as well. Fab swimmer. Great guy. And we used to just train together in the sea. Um, and he said to me, I think the week after, let's give it a go. Let's you and I, because we were the same pace, let's go together because it's a two lane pool. Let's go together and give it a go. And we're really competitive with each other. 
so I said, okay. And his partner is a doctor. So she said she'd come along and do like the medical supervision. They have an amazing setup in Armagh anyway. So we went up um, and they went, will we tell you the temperature? And I was like, better not. Turns out it was 0.7. That is not the temperature you want to start your first ice swim in. Okay, so how so I got into is, ice sorry, swimming, no, I wouldn't Tiffany, recommend. <laughs> Tiffany, this is 0.7. This is less than one degree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it did pick up, you know, I think it probably may have risen to over one by the time I got in, but it was a really cold first ice swim. Now, I had swum the winter before, so I didn't go into it from just from summer swimming into it. I had done a winter. I had winter, done one winter in the sea, um, but still. I wouldn't recommend how I got into ice swimming, but it's how I did. So we went along and we were like, well, they were like, well, how far do you want to swim? And 450 meters was the qualifiers for the 1K championship, which was the next week, which wasn't really in our head because we'd never done it before. But because we were being ridiculously competitive with each other, we went, oh, well, sure, let's go for 500 because it's a nice round number. So we get in and um, it's freezing. Obviously, it's freezing. And it's there's nothing... It's really hard to explain. It's not like getting into the sea in winter. When you get into fresh water of that low, it's almost instantaneous how cold you get. So instead of that slow burn and then the numbness, it's almost instant that you have blocks of ice for your fingers. And we just swam. And it was the best way of doing it because we were so... (laughs) I wasn't going to stop because unless he did and he wasn't going to stop unless I did um, which I didn't know at the time so we did our so we did our 500 meters went sat in the sauna which and it's the sauna is only at about 30 degrees because you can't go from that cold to super hot so we're sitting in the, the sauna and I'm in a terrible state I'm you know shaking I want to throw up um, luckily there's a girl there with me who I knew and she'd done it the week before and she was able to talk me through what I was feeling and that it would pass she was like I know you're feeling nauseous now in about five minutes that will stop I know you're feeling this now. That's going to pass. If you're feeling dizzy, just put your head down. And, you know, don't worry. I can't warm up your hands and fingers yet. I have to get your core warm, but this will pass. So it was really reassuring to have her there talking me through the process. Once I stopped shaking and Gus was sitting in the top corner and he was fine. And he looked at me and he went, I know there's no God now. I was like, oh, my God, Like, what's happened? Like, That's quite a big statement. And he was like, because I have never prayed for anything more in my life than for you to stop and get out but you wouldn't so I couldn't so I had to finish <laughs> I was like that was very dramatic <laughs> so yeah that was my first experience um ice swimming so the next week the girl Claire who had been helping me she said will we do the kilometer and I was like okay because at that point I was full of endorphins because the endorphin rush that you get after an ice swim is about a thousand times what you get after a sea swim it's a whole other rush it's it's like an absolute drug so we went up the next week and I swam a kilometre. Um, got out after that and went, never again. I'm done. This is crazy. Why would I put myself through this? This is crazy. The only thing that got me through was chips. I was like, when I am get out, I'm going to have chips. And I'm going to have lots of chips. And I'm going to have fish. And I might even have curry sauce. And that was kind of, that. you know, you have to find whatever works. But it was chips. So we did the 1K. And she said, will we do the mile next week? And I said, absolutely not. Are you insane? No way, no way, no way. Of course, the next day I was like, grand, let's do the mile. So the following week went up and I swam the mile. I haven't done one since. Um, I absolutely do not recommend doing that the way I did it. Um, I wasn't prepared enough. My body wasn't. But, you know, it was still quite early days in the sport. And it's not the best way of doing it. I mean, I was okay. It was the hardest thing. It was the hardest thing I've ever done ever in my life, that mile swim. Um, 
Pavel and Pat were running up and down, cheering me on. But I got to about, I think I had 10 left, 10 lengths to go. And I really, my stroke rate completely dropped. And they were really getting worried because they went, okay, she's completely dropped. And I could feel it. And I was just like, someone must, someone must see that I'm struggling. I wasn't going to pull myself, but I was kind of hoping someone would pull me. But anyway, Pavel started shouting at me to kick. And I was like, I can't believe he's actually coaching me. Can't he see I'm dying? But it was the best thing ever because I just started focusing on what he was telling me to do. So I said, right, we'll do drills. Fine, we'll do drills. So, we'll, you know, he was like, ran me through some drills and we did that. I looked up and I could say I only had six left. And I'm like, I can do this. I can do this. It's only six. And, and I finished it. Um, and it's, an, you know, and then the recovery was horrific. It really was not much fun. You know, I was completely out of it for a little bit. Um but I came back and again, high as a kite, but I've never done one since. Um, I haven't done a mile since. I kind of went, the ice mile was started as a personal um, achievement. It was never supposed to be a competitive thing. It was definitely never supposed to be a race. I'd never wanted to do lots more of them. I kind of, for me, it was a pinnacle and I, <laughs> I peaked very early in my ice swimming <laughs> career, but I, yeah, I've never felt the desire to do it again. For me, my favorite distance is actually 500 meters. Because at 500 meters, I'm still enjoying it. I absolutely love it. Like there's an absolute pleasure I get in swimming at 500 meters because I can race it. I can sprint it. I actually really enjoy the sensation of the cold. I, I embrace the feeling that it gives me in my body. Whereas if I'm doing a mile, I know I have to really pace myself. And I know that there's a ton of pain coming. I don't suffer 500 meters if there's no pain for me. There's no recovery for me after 500 meters. I'm fine. I can walk out on my own steam. I can dress myself. I barely need a sauna. I'm absolutely fine after 500 meters. And so for me, that's my favorite. I mean, I've done Ks. I, I went to the world championships twice. Um, I did Germany. I did a K in Germany. That was insane. <laughs> that was crazy. I mean, it was amazing to represent my country. Um, I got to go with an amazing team. Like Jera was there and um, Nula. He's an absolute legend, Nula Moore. And we got to compete with the best of the best. You know, I'm not a fast swimmer, but I'm consistent. But it was so exciting to see your name up on a, on a board. And, you know, it was filmed and my friends and family were watching from home. It was crazy. But it was it was a lake, which was frozen. And they had cut the pool out. They had lanes either end, but they were really narrow. They were only a meter. So normal swim lanes is a meter and a half. These are only a meter. Half a meter was the ladder, each side. And the ladders were on opposite sides. So you actually, you had to zigzag. And I started and I had one of the early heats and I kept crashing into the um, the barriers. And when your skin is that cold and you hit something, you bruise so easy. And I'm like, they're going to pull me. Oh my God, they're going to think I'm, I, I can't do this because I keep crashing into the barrier. What's wrong with me? And of course, when you're trying to kick off, it's, it's completely slippery. So you don't get a nice, you know, clean glide. So I was sliding at a weird angle, crashing in and then just kind of zigzagging up and down. And I was like, oh, my God, this is awful. I'm going to be the worst. Afterwards, when I was sitting in the hot tub, everybody was comparing bruises because everyone did the same thing. Like the best swimmers in the world, you know, Jamie Monaghan, the works, they had all done the same thing. And in fact, it was a competition who had, who had the best bruise. <laughs> so it's just funny what your mind your mind does to you. I was like, oh, I'm useless. I'm terrible. I'm never going to get through this. And every single swimmer went through exactly the same thing. So, so yeah, that was that was Germany. Um, probably the best thing about open water swimming and ice swimming is the people that I've met. People are phenomenal. Like the ice swimming community, I mean, the open water swimming community are lovely. And then there's an even nicer subset of people who do ice swimming because you have to be, you have to care and have empathy for other people if you're an ice swimmer because you're relying on people 
to make sure you don't die. Well, that's what I was going you know? to say. You're kind of you're you're putting your life in somebody else's hands when you do ice swimming. But 100%. but listening to you there before we talk about that, listening to you there, it's absolutely fascinating to hear that you were swimming in the really really cold temperatures. That you went from five hundred to a thousand to one point six k, which is is the mile, mm-hmm. and you didn't even think you know anything of it. You just went for it and. I would be having an absolute heart attack at the thought of the cold and how my body would react in the water. Were you not afraid of the big jump from, well, first of all, getting in doing 500 metres? I mean, I know you had done a winter of swimming, but even at like, say, 9, 10 degrees here, we're very cautious getting into the water here in Galway at, at that temperature. We're novice, open water, winter yeah. swimmers. No, but were you and, not afraid? And you right to. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Right yeah, I mean, you have to be um, responsible as well. I mean, I guess... The, the joy of Armagh, the wild water in Armagh, is it's a really safe environment. Um, it's a pool. Um, you've got people on either side of you who are watching you like hawks. They can pull you out. And I, I mean, I have, you know, I've run events there um, since I got involved with the ISA board. And, you know, safety is paramount. I personally have pulled people out when I, I didn't think that they were going to finish safely. But they have a really good safety setup. The other weird thing about ice swimming is that some people are just naturally good at it. And I'm one of those people. Um, and I don't know what it is, but it I wasn't scared. It didn't scare me. I mean, while I said my recovery was bad, compared to some recoveries I've seen, my recovery was fine. Um, I recover really well. I probably, because, I, I don't know. The, I think it was Ned Dennison who said, the things you need to be a good ice swimmer are to be round, female and fertile. <laughs> um, and it definitely helps. As a woman, like, ice swimming is a sport for women. We are made for it. We have our fat distribution is in the right place for swimming anyway. So we're more buoyant. Um, our fat is in around our core and it keeps us warmer. And honestly, you know, you're a woman yourself. We're good with pain. You know, we're used to pain. We carry pain as, you know, once a month, if not more often. And for me, you know, I have um, I have really bad knees. I have arthritis in, in one of my knees and I have other things going on that I would probably rarely not have a day where I didn't have some kind of pain but for me ice swimming was a pain that I chose so it was on my terms so I chose the pain and also it numbs all the other pain so it stops my knee hurting it stops any other niggles in my body they just go away and then you get this rush of endorphins that makes you feel like you're on top of the world so I should have probably no I definitely should have been more cautious but again, I was doing it with people who knew what they were doing. I was in good company. I was with Patrick, who had been to Murmansk, um, which is the first open water. I was with Ian, who runs Wild Water. And actually, um, Jer, I think, was there for my first swim as well. Um, so there's this huge community of people looking out for me. And again, as I said, some people are just lucky and they, they handle it. And I handled it really well. Um, you know, my, my friend Pav, who'd come up with this, he didn't handle it as well, even though he's a much better swimmer than I am, but he's got no body fat. So years of cake. I love that you say cake. I cycle for cake. I will swim (laughs) for cake. I swim for cake and I swam for chips. Um, You know, so, you know, fish and chips in the harbour bar um, or there's a really good chipper near um, wild water in Armagh. And it's just become part of the ritual. You go, you do your swim. And it's like this tiny little chipper. It was like two tables, but it's the ritual now. So we swim in Armagh, go and have our fish and chips in Cordelia's. 
and it's the best fish and chips you'll ever eat in your life because you know you've just done your ice <laughs> and you've survived it you're still alive and you've survived it yes and you've survived it it's um, it's true what you say about uh, the community as well and about even people looking after you like we've a little whatsapp group now of a gang of us that are, are meeting during covid to go for our swims obviously socially distanced and all of that but it's lovely to see the camaraderie between everybody of are you dipping today are you swimming today you know everyone's buddying up in the water yeah. and then that ritual and everybody's minding each other as well and even my sister was in the water she's she's flying it she's not a swimmer and she's in the water and she's absolutely loving it but that ritual even of the, the getting out and it's really cold getting out of the water getting dressed but it's where are we going for the sausage rolls today so our thing at yeah. the moment in Salt Hill is the search for the tastiest sausage roll in Salt Hill so uh, it's the quick hot drink as we're getting changed and then it's down into Salt Hill for coffee and a sausage roll and the chat and the banter yeah. after and it's I think as well, the community of swimmers that are there generally, like we've met mm-hmm. so many people over the past few months since the 1st of August, since I took on the virtual Galway Bay swim, we've just been welcomed with open arms by the, the swimmers that mm-hmm. are there 365 days a week. And there's a whole cohort of people who've only joined in the last six months and they've been made feel so welcome. And we feel very safe down in Black Rock as well, which is the local area for where I swim. Most people will see it oh, on my social media. It's yeah. Gorgeous. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My family's from Galway so yeah I've been some I've been there. Ah, see if Galway yeah. blood that's all yes. good. I want to ask you about mentally preparing for the cold water. Is there anything that you do to prepare your mind for what's facing you? Funnily, I mean, for the for my mile, I started, you know, I watched the Wim Hof videos and I was trying to do the Wim Hof breathing and I was drinking um you know, I, I juice loaded ginger and turmeric and I had it with a hot drink and I wanted to have something hot. I felt that if I had something hot and I still do that, actually, I would if I'm doing a really cold swim, I'll have a hot drink just before I go in. So I have that sensation of heat in my stomach and I focus on that. I don't do that as much anymore because I have actually come to terms with the cold and I, I like the cold now. So instead of trying to focus on feeling warm, I just let the cold in and say to myself so I have a little mantra when I'm swimming and it's like I like the cold I like the feeling that it does to my body I like I like how it numbs my other pain I enjoy the sensation of you know my skin changing and I'm really aware of you know the blood moving in my body and I kind of just talk to myself but mostly it's you like this Tiffany you enjoy the cold let the cold in you know it's your friend makes you happy Uh, and so that's kind of what I've moved to so I moved away from trying to feel heat that wasn't there to accepting the cold as my something that I loved so it's not that I prepare beforehand it's when I'm in it is it almost to try and distract your mind from what you're putting your body through I know sometimes when I get cold in the water I start counting one two three four one two three four one two three four just to stop the fear of anything happening in the water I mean don't get me wrong I you know I panicked all the way through that mile and lots of the other swims that's why I said I I prefer the 500 now because I don't there's no panic there's no pain you know I did 500 in Murmansk at the last world championships and um, I actually kicked myself that I didn't do the K because the 500 was the most pleasurable swim I've ever had in my life I literally I have never enjoyed a swim as much as I enjoyed that 500 meters the water was zero but the air was zero which is actually grand I know that sounds bizarre but when we were in Germany it was minus 15 when we went to Siberia it was minus 20 um, but the water was like maybe a degree warmer. But when the water and the air is the same, it's absolutely fine. And there was no wind. It was actually the most 
fun swim I've ever done. And I got out wanting to jump back in and do another 500. So I was really annoyed that I hadn't signed up for the kilometer as well. And it's probably my only regret was not doing the K in Vermont. But I did enjoy that 500 meters like nothing else. Funnily enough, talking about preparation, I actually wrote a piece on LinkedIn about my experience in Siberia because it was the most amazing experience I've ever had. So Jer has loads of friends in the ice swimming world and I have loads of friends in the ice swimming world too, thanks to Jer. And, you know, I've traveled extensively now at this stage, but he organized for a few of us to go to Siberia to do first Siberian Cup and it was being held in Tumen. So we went along and <laughs> it was such a bizarre experience. Hey, we were the only foreigners. Um, I think, sorry, there was one other guy from Czechoslovakia and everyone else was Russian and nobody spoke any English except one or two interpreters. And we were staying in this sports camp. So it was just as Soviet as you can imagine. It was just this sports camp in the middle of nowhere, snow everywhere. We were staying in, effectively in dorms and food was interesting. And I'm a vegetarian. Luckily, I had brought, we all brought lots of porridge, which was useful. And cake. Chocolate. We brought a lot of dairy milk. I, it's, I, when I think of Siberia, I just think of giant bars of dairy milk and me stuffing them in my face. <laughs> but I'd signed up to do two events. I had signed up to do the 200 and the 500. Um, or was it 450? No, it was 500. The 200, the 200 was scary. Um, and I'd made a few friends, a few Russian swimmer friends, just by, you know, walking around. Well, we became friends in the tent. So there's a tent beforehand. And so we kind of... And we'd brought lots of, you know, little shamrocks and stuff. So we were kind of giving them out to people and making friends and sign language. There's a lot of sign language. Um, so I'd done the 200 and I, it was fine. Um, but for some reason, it, I got into my head for the 500 and I've never experienced fear like it. I've never been so scared in my life. You know, when they say you get a dry mouth with fear. Wow. I didn't know what that felt like. I was constantly sipping on water. I couldn't, I could, you know, I couldn't form any spit. I was terrified and I don't know why I don't know why I was so scared um but I was and my friend Sharon was with me and she's like you're going to be fine she was doing the race too and so the two of us were literally holding each other together we were in the same tent I had hot Ribena and we we're offering it to some of the other women and they were giving us some chocolate and someone started dancing one of the Russian women as a way of warming up so then we all started dancing and then there was lots of group hugging um, because everyone was nervous. That was the nice thing, that the Russian women were just as nervous as I was. Like The tension in the tent was ridiculous. But we all started dancing, and then there was this kind of random hugging and sharing of chocolate and sweets. And we walked out for our heat all holding hands. So these women that I didn't know, how, I, we didn't speak the same language, but we all walked out holding hands. And it was just the most amazing. The tent part was what stood out for me. It was just that female bonding that happened. And we did, I did the swim, and it was fine. 500 it was fine recovery was grand walked up got to the sauna did all that but what was really interesting was afterwards i was chatting to connor he was the kind of irish superstar who'd come over and he won everything he's really fast and i was chatting to him in the hot tub afterwards about his experience and he was the same he was like i was so scared i was terrified he said i was just so freaked out and i, I just got into my head and i was like yeah i know and he said and all the russian men were standing there and they were beating their chests and they were psyching themselves up and no one would speak to me and he said and i'm a really chatty guy and that's normally how i control my nerves as i talk to people he said but i couldn't because no one understood me and he said i've never felt so isolated i'm like we were eating chocolate and dancing and hugging and you know He's like, dancing, chocolate. There's none of that going on in the men's tent. And I was just like, yeah, it's so much better to be a woman. <laughs> it was just so interesting. The difference was fascinating to me. Are there more female ice swimmers than there are men, generally? I think it's about 50-50. Um, I think it's about 50-50. Women are definitely 
I mean, we're not necessarily faster, but we're better at endurance. Um, I mean, you'll see that with, you know, channel swimmers as well. It's probably one of the most egalitarian sports, I guess. Mm. There's no, it's not a male dominated sport. It's very, very much 50-50. And of course, Um, you were lucky to get away to Antarctica before COVID hit the world back in February of this year, wasn't it? It was just, yeah. I mean, Jar had been planning that and I was, I was helping him with the planning. And I actually coordinated the kilometers for the people who wanted to do it on the day. Jar and I have organized a number of things together. We work really well as a team. But he loves organizing things like this. So, you know, he put all the effort and planning in. And I just, um, you know, helped with setting up the website and, and bits and pieces. And we got the group of people together. It just was so surreal that we got it done just before COVID hit, before the world went crazy. Uh, but that was, that was, gosh, I would go back to Antarctica in a heartbeat. Uh, it was the most stunning, amazing place I have ever been. We were on a really small boat. I can't remember if Jared talked about this already, but we, <laughs> when we got to Ushuaia, I saw these massive cruise ships down, you know, anchored. And some of them are like, you know, five, six, seven stories. And we were like, oh, which one's our boat, Jared? And literally, it looked like a trawler in between. And we were like, are you serious? And it was, it looked like a trawler and it wasn't, it was obviously much bigger than a trawler, but in comparison to all the other boats. And he was like, look, this is going to be a good thing. And it was a good thing. So because it's just a small boat and there was only 88 passengers, it meant that we could stop more often because there's really strict rules in Antarctica about how many people can be on a part of the continent at any one time because they're very, very conscious about not polluting, not damaging the ecosystem. And so I think it's 100 is the maximum. And so a lot of the other boats not everyone would be able to get off every stop. And also because they're so big, there are some places that they, like, there are some channels that they can't fit. We went down the La Mer Channel, which is only like a kilometer wide at some point and full of icebergs. <laughs> so, you know, the captain has to like seriously be good at steering. So not everyone would have got to experience um, that channel. So we had loads of stops. I think we had about eight stops, maybe even 10 stops. And it was, it was phenomenal. And we got to swim twice. So yeah, I will never, ever... I don't think, well, actually, I, I would love to know. I've got this obsession with icebergs. I, I was going to say I'll never repeat that. I'm going to go and find some more icebergs and swim to them again because it was the best experience ever. Um, we found this really perfect spot. Well, the, the crew were amazing. They really looked after us. And they we had someone called Monica, and she's this amazing German historian. And she specializes in and well, Antarctican history. Um, history and she was cool but she was looking after us and she was trying to they were you know spotting good spots where we could swim where we wouldn't get eaten by leopard seals which is pretty important or orcas and we did have to stop a swim for an orca at one point um it was actually Jer and um kath were due to do their mile and there was a pod of orcas so we all, obviously we all wanted to watch the pod of orcas hunting but we didn't tell them because they would freak out. So we watched the pot of orcas. Once they'd gone, we let them in on the other side to do their mind. <laughs> so, but we, when we did our swim, there was like a little beach. And then it was, I think it was 60 meters out to an iceberg. And then there was a big hill where the whole, um, all the other passengers were standing silently because they weren't allowed to cheer because they didn't want to disturb the wildlife. But they were all watching. And we got in and we, I did laps to an iceberg. It was just, you know, I touched the iceberg as if I was just doing a touch turn. And I was like, I touch turned off an iceberg. <laughs> it was amazing. It was so much. I have a little video of me and I come back and I'm like, can I go again? And Jerry's like, swim as much as you like, girl. And I was like, okay. <laughs> it was amazing. So it was so much fun. So yeah, we did that. And of course, the whole, um, all the other passengers on the crew thought we were mental, but amazing. 
So we had all this extra support. They were all really invested. So anytime someone was swimming off the boat when the guys were doing the longer swims, because um, three people did miles, they had like, you know, the boats were, people were hanging off, there's loads of videos. They must have thought you were complete lunatics. Yeah. And, you know, we were all decked out. We had our, you know, we had um, jackets and hats and everything made up for the trip, which is amazing. My, I, I do like to wear my Antarctica jacket down to Aldi. <laughs> not, not the dry robe, no? Well, no, I have all these really cool jackets <laughs> from all these, world, you know, world championship things with ice all over them. So, yeah, I don't even actually have a dry robe anymore. I gave it to my friend because when we went to Murmansk um, for the world championships, they gave us all a robe. And it's a much better design, in my opinion, because it has Velcro. So you don't have to do that stupid zip up. So I literally just Velcro it. And it has a really cool polar bear on one side and a penguin on the other. So I, I, I have the ultimate robe. The ultimate robe. I love it. That's the, the name of a new robe. brand. The, the ultimate, ultimate robe, robe by um, Tiffany people, Quinn. People go like, what brand is that? I'm like, I don't know. The ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want you to tell us what the temperature was like in the water in Antarctica and what the air temperature was like as well, if you, if you can remember. Yes. So the we swam, the first swim was one degree. 1.5 and the second one we did was 1.5 as well and um, when the guys did their miles they hit zero because they were in the Antarctic circle um, so yeah the three of them got zero miles which is a thing um, you know a zero mile is a thing which I'm not bothered about at all but ours was like 1.5 the air wasn't cold at all it was five degrees the Antarctic in summer is not cold not cold at all Siberia was the coldest I've ever been and would you say Antarctic has been the the highlight of your swimming career to date? Yeah, swimming to an iceberg. Unbelievable. Swimming to an iceberg, seeing orcas, seeing a million penguins, you know, and just drifting by icebergs are unreal. They're majestic. I used to sit on deck just watching them or else if it was rough, you, you could look out the window and we'd kind of go, oh, look, that one looks like a castle. And then we spent ages looking for which one we'd use as our villain's lair. So we did a lot of that, you know. Well, that one's good because you could land a helicopter and you could also bring a boat in, but it's high enough that the elephant seals couldn't come and eat you. Yeah, that's really good. That's a good point. So we had worked out all these different things, but we had a lot of time to fill. But it was an amazing trip. I didn't think I'd want to go back, but there's something. I mean, I read all the books. You know, I read, um, you know, a lot of people who had gone to Antarctica, you know, Shackleton's story and Tom Crean, and they all talked about something that, you know, drew them back to Antarctica again and again. And I completely get it. There's something so peaceful and so majestic. And afterwards, we went to Buenos Aires and I had planned to stay for a couple of days and I couldn't cope with it at all. A, I got what's called um, mal d'embarquement, which is actually land sickness. So I was fine on the boat. You basically get to, because your inner ear has adjusted to the sea. And we had some seriously crazy storms coming back to the Drake Passage. We were all drugged up to the nines. I have no memory of it because I drank some whiskey as well. And then I don't remember. And... When I got back, I ended up with effectively land sickness, which hit in Buenos Aires. But between that and the busyness of a city, I just couldn't take it because it had just been this beautiful, peaceful, tranquil for, you know, 10 days. Even though I was sharing a room, you know, with two, two other girls, they, we were all in the same kind of headspace. It was complete digital detox. There was no Wi-Fi. It was amazing. There was no Wi-Fi. The only thing I screen I looked at was my Kindle. There was PCs you could log on to, which people were doing, but I had no interest I was delighted to just be switched off I couldn't take the hustle and bustle of Buenos Aires it was probably and very so, overwhelming after what you had achieved yes. and where you had been it's like a totally different world 
it was horrible. I just, yeah, I, I really struggled with it. And I, so I changed my flight and went back early. I couldn't take it all. We did bump into some of the other folk on the trip in the airport. I was not the only one with the, the land sickness, the mild embarkment. There was a, quite a few of us kind of going, do you still feel like you want to throw up because you're still on a ship? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's so weird. It was so weird. Yeah. No problems on the boat, but problems as soon as I hit land. So I had to get a load of acupuncture to fix my inner ear when I got back. Oh, weird. Yeah. And um, in terms of kit, you're allowed to wear togs. Togs, goggles, uh, one silicone hat and earplugs. So they And earplugs are my like one piece of kit that I will never get into the sea without. That's what I was going to ask um, you, actually. Is there one piece of kit other than your swimming yeah. togs, I hope, that you'd never leave behind at home? <laughs> Depends on what swimming beach you go to. Optional, <laughs> but I wouldn't get in without earplugs. <laughs> Could you imagine? We had hoped that we could do... Um, yeah, and they could swim in Antarctica, but that didn't happen because um, yeah. there was all these people watching us at all the time. <laughs> so, um, but no, earplugs I would never get. I would highly recommend, you know, swimmer's ear, surface ear is a thing. You know, it's a real thing. You're really foolish to swim without them. So I would I would just never get in without um, earplugs. There has been a huge increase in the number of people who've taken up open water swimming, whether it's because there was nothing else to do at the start of lockdown, mm-hmm. whether people were now at home, they weren't chasing their tail or whether they were doing it for mental health or just for an escape or just to go meet their friends and yeah. have a little dip, have a little bit of a laugh. There's such a huge number of people taking part in open water swimming now. So from your own experience, what piece of advice or what tips would you give to people with regards to remaining safe before during and after their swims it's not going to be anything you haven't heard before but always swim with someone um bring a tow float if you can you don't have to have a tow float but they're just really handy um you can be seen for a re- from a really long way away um and they will hold you up if you get tired if you get a cramp if you get freaked out they will hold your weight so tow floats are good especially if you're starting off um like Things that I always have in a winter swim, I have a, I have a changing mat. I also swim in swimming shoes, actually. I swim in Bray and it's, it's a rocky beach. So I have these little, they're not neoprene. I don't do neoprene, but they're just little plastic shoes that um, I got on Amazon. And they're a godsend if you're getting in and out of a rocky beach. And they're really helpful if you're getting in and out of a rocky beach and there's any kind of um, undertow. Because when there's an undertow and you're trying to balance on rocks, you're more likely to be knocked off your feet. When you have the shoes, it makes you more stable. So they're really handy for rocky beaches and they you don't slip um so from a practical point of view dry rope obviously <laughs> a changing towel and um yeah hat you know you get dressed as quickly as possible so the interesting thing about becoming an ice swimmer is your body does adapt and i've read loads of papers on this and you know they're trying to work out whether the ad- adaptations are good or bad and it seems to be kind of they're not sure yet what does happen is that your shiver response is delayed so i don't shiver after a swim and if I get dressed quick enough, I don't shiver at all. Now, shivering is a good thing. Shivering warms you up. It's a really useful thing. You know, it, it's your body's way of generating heat. So if you don't shiver, that's not a good thing. However, by not shivering, it means my hands work. So if you get to the point where your shivering doesn't kick in, you don't just hang around in your togs chatting. The idea is that's giving you time to get dressed and as warm as you can, jump up and down as quickly as you can. I've seen too many people, they come out of the sea, they have that, um, oh my God, I feel amazing. And they poncing around, to be fair, in their budgie smugglers, you know, chatting and thinking they're great. And you're just like, no, get dressed as quickly as possible. The after drop is the killer. So you just take advantage of the fact that you're feeling great. Get your clothes on, get all of your clothes on, as many clothes on as you can. Get the hot drink into you, you know, do a few jumping jacks, go for a walk. You know, so we'll often go, um, you know, swim, 
go for a walk, grab a hot chocolate, you know, and, and then warm up that way. Um, I've t- <laughs> Since lockdown, I keep buying random pieces of exercise equipment. And my latest one is a boogie bounce. It's a little mini trampoline. So after my last swim, I was like, I wonder. And I've never sweated as much in my life because it shows you a different level of fitness. Like six minutes on that and I want to throw up. It's like, this would be great for warming up after swim. So yeah, I tried it on Sunday, had my swim, came in, jumped on the thing. And sure enough, after about five minutes, I was grand. And then I was able to have my shower and not have to worry about, you know, getting dizzy or anything. Because that's the other problem, rushing into a shower after and um, you can really 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 get a bad after drop mm. clothes are better so lots and lots of warm clothes you know don't wear jeans don't wear leggings you know big soft fluffy we have aldi pants we all got there was aldi had this thing at one point and they were like these big fleece lined gray horribly unattractive i mean they're just hideous pants but they were the warmest thing and so at one point we had us all in our aldi pants and your dry robe and you just kind of homeless chic as we kind of <laughs> yeah I've started wearing a full fleecy pyjamas so a thermal vest yeah. and then a full fleece pyjamas and then I pull my wide tracksuit pants and a fleece top and another top and then a jacket yeah. and the dry robe yeah. and then we've started filling a second flask for the hot water bottles so yeah. because the hot water bottles are cold by the time you get out of the water by the time you've kind of set yourself up and especially if you want to go for the coffee after you want to have the the warm hot water bottle um but it's really interesting as well around the whole area of the after drop because that's something that I would never have heard of before uh going swimming like I'd never hear of an after drop after doing a triathlon or you know yeah. being out for a bike race or a, or a really cold bike but it's a real thing it's a real thing um, and it's really really dangerous which is why if you want to push your limits in ice swimming, somewhere like Armagh is the place to do it where they have proper recovery. When we run the national championships in Armagh, we get a medical beforehand. We have a doctor on site. You come out of your swim and you're brought to a rewarming tent where we have lukewarm water and towels. And we put towels around you, warm towels, and then we take them off and then we put another one. And it's amazing how quickly the towels get cold. So you put a hot towel on someone and it literally sucks the cold out of their body in about... 10, 20 seconds, that towel is cold and you pop it back in. It's an exhausting, you know, I've done my time in, in the recovery tent and um, recovering people. And, you know, we've worked out over the years, again, the best way to recover people. And it's so if you're cold, you get heat under your armpits and heat between your legs because that's where your big, big arteries are that carry the um, blood to your heart. You want to warm them. So the fastest way to warm, you know, just when people are cold, they put their hands under their armpits because it's a really warm part of your body. So you get your hot water bottle. If someone is really, really cold after a swim and you want to warm them, you get something warm, you get it under their armpits, you get it between their legs and you warm them up, then get it on their kidneys. So they're the kind of the key spots under the arms, between the legs and on the kidneys. I got an amazing hot water bottle from um, Amazon. It's like really, really long and it has a belt and I literally tie it or I can actually tie it around me. So I get out and I tie that around me. And then I put my dry robe over, so I'm incredibly trendy. And I got my big, <laughs> and then I switched around to my front once my kidneys are warmed up. Um, but there's lots of little things like that you can do. But yeah, if someone is hypothermic, or maybe not full on hypothermic, but close to hypothermic, that is how to rewarm someone on body heat. So this is why, you know, I have stripped and dressed and being stripped and dressed by a lot of my friends at this stage. So there are no secrets between people if you're an ice swimmer. You know, I've literally had people put my knickers on and um, we don't bother with bras because it's just too much hassle. But when we went to Germany, 
we didn't feel that the rewarming facilities were warm enough. So you have a staged warming. You have a first stage and um, because you can't bring people from super cold to super hot. And um, so there was a warming tent which had a fire in it. But it just wasn't warm enough. And there wasn't any, there wasn't the hot towels, which is the gold standard as far as we're concerned. And so we were trying to figure out how are we going to warm people? We worked out body heat was the only way that was going to work because it's an amazingly effective way to warm someone up. So the seconds were going to basically have to strip and hug them. And that's what we did. So that's what we did. And I, I will never forget because I was in one of the ladies. She's an amazingly fast swimmer from Dublin Swimming Club. And she was in there and it was her longest ice swim ever. And she was she was having a really tough recovery you know, your head goes to strange places. You think you're dying. So she was like convinced she was dying. And uh, her second was there and he's just the funnest person ever. And he was like, now, come on, you're going to be grand. And he, so he whips off his top because it's warm in the tent if you're dressed. It's just not warm enough if you're cold. So he whips off his top, you know, embraces him. And she just kind of literally melted into him. And she's like, oh, that feels so good. But it does because you feel comforted when you're feeling like you think you're going to die. Having someone give you a hug and there's something about, skin on skin contact and it doesn't matter like it's not a sexual thing it's not an attraction thing it's just really comforting to have another person embrace you when you're feeling scared and you don't know what's happening in your body and she was fine when she got back contact she came back you know the color came back to her face and then she was just holding on to him because she was enjoying it so that was (laughs) her husband was waiting outside (laughs) with her clothes uh so that that was you know when I talk about the camaraderie between ice swimmers and you do that to strangers, I ended up doing that with a complete stranger because her second didn't know what to do. And I could see her about to, you know, literally she was second from unconsciousness and I ended up having to whip off my clothes and giving her a hug. And I didn't even know this girl, but it's what you do in the ice swimming world. You just look after each other. And, you know, as much as possible, I try and give back to the sport. So I've been on the committee of the International Ice Swimming Association for Ireland for the last couple of years. I've refereed races and I've done the recovery because people did it for me so people recovered me people organized races for me and and so you, you take your turn giving back because you want to because these people are lovely you know and as I say there's so many random people who have you know undressed me dressed me and given me hugs that you know well it's also important to give back as well I think in terms of sustainability of the sport as well and in yeah. terms of of learning like the experiences you would have had are invaluable to somebody else maybe starting off who's thinking that oh I can do a 500 one kilometer 1.6k or, or a one mile as it's called yeah. whereas you'll be able to advise them and say well actually really you shouldn't or you know whatever that the protocols yeah. and things are in place so your knowledge is wasted if it's not utilized as in a give back format and, and that's true across the board I think mm-hmm. with a lot of sports if, if somebody's interested in um, not just the winter swimming aspect of open water swimming but actually interested in maybe testing their boundaries with ice swimming where should we look or what should we do to, to get in contact with the ice swimming association here in Ireland and we have a Facebook page so it's ISA IISA Ireland so there's a Facebook page where you can which is fairly active you can message, message us on and there are people in Galway Limerick Donegal, Dublin, Armagh, and there's various other groups around the country. And we have a WhatsApp group then with kind of people who've been trained as observers. So if you want to do an official ice swim, there's an International Ice Swimming Association website where you register and get an account. It's free. And then you can you can record your swims. Any official distance has to be observed. And there are very strict rules about temperature measurement, about distance, about recording. And it's all really clearly documented. But we have a lot of observers who've been trained in Ireland. And so you can ask one of us to come out and observe your swim or to, you know, but if anyone wants to ask any questions, yeah, go to Ice Ireland and I'll probably be the one replying to you. <laughs> <laughs> a 
And imagine where you'd be or what you'd be doing if you hadn't put it to the pin of the collar of the lad that was saying, oh, you won't be able to do that. Oh, I know. I mean, I haven't been on a holiday, I think, in six years that wasn't a swim holiday. Um, I've been all over. And they're not all cold holidays, okay? Like, <laughs> I hope you well, do I like the to, sunshine, do you? We did a Barbados holiday. So one of my friends, it was her 40th. And it like literally, this is, it took about two seconds to talk because into this, someone had said, there's an, there's an event in Barbados. And we're like, isn't someone 40 around then? Aoife, you're 40 then. Let's go for your birthday. And she was like, yes, you should all definitely go to Barbados for my birthday. So yes, 12 of us went to Barbados and we all got matching togs and we had best time of my absolute life. And we were all talking about going back and we did and we did a couple of events. But there's loads more in the Caribbean. So we're kind of going, will we go to Bahamas next or, you know, wherever. Um, and they kind of do them off season. So they're not as expensive as you think. And it, the other thing is that I have so many friends. Like I have so many friends through swimming and friends that I've gone on holidays with. Yeah, I've been, you know, Croatia. I mean, all the well, half cold as well. So we've done like Iceland, Croatia, Barbados, you know, and we were supposed to do a Ibiza this year, but then everything was cancelled. I think we're really lucky in the sense that we have this type of sport that enables us to meet lots of people. So you've got your, your swimming, your ice swimming, your open water swimming. I've got, say, triathlon mm-hmm. and that whole community there. And it just opens up a whole world that we'd never have experienced if we hadn't taken up these respective sports however many years ago and embraced I- the... The lifestyle. It's not just a hobby now or a passion. It's actually a way of life, I think. It absolutely. And, you know, you you asked me, like, you know, how did you, why weren't you scared or why didn't you, you know, why weren't you scared doing the ice swim? And and I think I I did write about it in my article that I did, which was that when you do sports, start a sport like this, and I'm sure it's exactly the same for you in in triathlons, you find people, excellence becomes normalised. And what you used to think was out of your, completely out of your reach, just becomes normal. Like, so... You know, I would never have thought about swimming the English Channel, and I haven't yet. I was supposed to, but I tore a ligament. But it doesn't feel out of reach anymore because I know probably 30, 40 people who've swum the English Channel. When you don't know anyone who's swum the English Channel, it seems insane. When you know other people and you're like, oh, sure, I could do that. I mean, yeah, I'd have to train for two years, but it's not out of my league. And it's the same with the ice swimming. It was like, well, if he can do it, and I try train with him in the pool. I've got, I, I swim with him in the sea point and I can keep up kind of, I could probably do this. So just the impossible becomes possible by the people you surround yourself with. And I think, you know, sports people are amazing because they're constantly striving and they're constantly goal setting and they're constantly, you know, training and pushing themselves. And you, you take that into your everyday life. You know, I definitely take it into my work life. I'm definitely a better person. And also, you know, I, I don't get that stressed. You know, I'm in work and I'm like, it's not a nice smile. You know, it's like, oh my God, there's a deadline. Yeah. Is it zero degrees? Is everybody speaking Russian? No. <laughs> you know? I suppose your perspective of, of life in general changes when you're so close to, to death, really, in one way from ice swimming. No, in no, a, no, it's true. But, but it, it is. It genuinely does put a lot of things into perspective. You know, it puts things, yeah, really into perspective and, and it makes everything else not seem trivial, but possible. Because when you feel like you've done the impossible, um, and, you know, sometimes you have to stop and kind of, and then sometimes you you feel inadequate. Like, you know, you're like, because you know so many really cool people. You're like, oh, my God, you know, Jamie's done seven ice miles. Jared's done seven ice miles and a, a gazillion zero miles. And I'm like, yes, but this is in your small circle. If you look outside your small circle, other people think you're amazing. And so sometimes you have to remind yourself that, you know, you have done amazing things. There may be people who have done more amazing things, but it doesn't take away from your own achievements. And... And that's sometimes something that you need to hear yourself. 
So if you're having a bad day and you, you know, not feeling very confident in yourself, you can remind yourself. And I think that's why people collect their medals because you see them and you go, I did that. It was a really hard thing and I did that. And I think it's good that people celebrate their own success because it's important. I do life coaching. I'm a life coach as well when I'm not working in telecoms. Or swimming. Or swimming. And I, you know, that kind of idea of celebrating success is something that we talk about in coaching as well. And it's recognizing that you've achieved stuff in the past and using that to drive you forward for the future in whatever, whenever you want to be, whether it be in sport, in work, in, you know, setting up your own business, whatever it is, it's just remembering that you have success and you can build on it Um, and I think it's really really important and fun. Well I never thought I would still be getting into the sea every single day that I would be staying in it for as long as I'm in it but that I would be doing handstands in the middle of the sea when I get out of the water. That's so much fun. Oh, it is like my new, it's the new ritual. We cannot get out of the water without doing handstands. Um, Mermaiding, I call that mermaiding. Myself and my friends do, let's go, are you going for a swim or a dip? Or we do some mermaiding and it's that whole, you know, diving under the sea, trying to get the best picture underneath the sea, doing the handstands. We did a lot of time practicing our um, really bad synchronized swimming. We did that as well. Yeah, A lot of tumbling um, and stuff. And it's just fun because as adults, you don't, play well anymore. this is this is something else that we were talking about the other day about how the importance of fun and adventures so as an athlete and I'm doing inverted commas athlete when you go down to go to the sea for a swim you're expecting to do you know thousand meters go for a big long swim you're training for something I'm not training for anything I'm having the time of my life while I'm stuck yeah. in the middle of a global pandemic that has seen me out of work but I am having fun and I'm taking the path that is of adventure and play and fun and puts a smile on my face because yeah. that's the only thing we can do to keep ourselves sane and happy as we work through whatever the next couple of uh, weeks and months are but the bringing out that inner child is so important when the world yeah. outside can be bleak and awful oh, yeah. The fun inside or outside as it may be in the sea is, is, is good fun. Anyway, to finish up, Tiffany, thank you so much. Uh, that was absolutely fantastic to chat with you. Fascinating insight and stories. I remember when I interviewed Jer, I thought he was as mad as a box of frogs. Going to use somebody else's, <laughs> yes, yeah, somebody else's term that was used for me during the week. Mad as a box of frogs. Um, to be doing all this ice swimming. And now I'm like, hmm, ice swimming. Hmm, is that something that I could potentially do in the future? Hmm, let's hold that thought. So it's amazing how, you know, things change and your perspectives so, change. With, you've spoken with Dean Newell and Fergus. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. If you if you decide to try it, oh. there's the two people to talk to. <laughs> well, now, Fergal was trying to get me to do the Galway Bay Swim 13K next year, but we're not making any plans. But, uh, you know, as you said yourself, these things are now within our reach because we've taken yeah. the first steps in that yeah. journey. Whether that brings us to a nice mile or a Galway Bay Swim, I don't know. But thank you so much for your insight and for your time today. I absolutely love chatting to you. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me at trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Pop by and say hi and let me know what you think of the show. If you are new to Try Talking Sport, please do check out some of our previous episodes. You will be impressed and inspired by our guests. Don't forget, the best Christmas present you can give me this year is to share our podcast with all of your friends and help us get to 50,000 downloads. Until next time, wash your hands, stay safe, keep smiling. Thanks, as always, for tuning in.